Welcome to the Gateway Scottsdale audio podcast. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through his word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewayscottsdale.tv. Now, let's tune in for this week's message. If you got a Bible, turn to John chapter 4. We're going to continue our series this weekend titled, Follow Me. And this series is all about, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to follow Jesus wherever he goes. And last week, we really got things started off right by following Jesus into the desert. And some of you were mad at me for going that direction last week. If you thought I couldn't top uh, teaching on a location none of us want to go, uh, if you you didn't think I could top last week, you're going to be shocked by this week. Because the title of this week's message is, Follow Me to the Well. And what we're talking about is prejudice. Now really, this is kind of a two-part message, because next weekend, the title of the message is, Follow Me to Zacchaeus' House. And that happens to be the passage the Lord gave me before we started our mobile ministry unit, uh, which is a big part of how God has called us to reach uh, not just our community, but the entire valley with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But... Before we can talk about reaching, we have to talk about prejudice, and and here's why. And and I put this message into the squirmy category. I've already watched it go down twice, okay? This is like feeding a child nasty cough syrup, because I can see it on the look of everybody's face when I say, I'm teaching on prejudice, and it's like, wah, wah, okay? But you have to understand why it's so important that we really address this problem, all right? Because if God's called us to reach, if there's someone you refuse to touch, you're letting God know you just don't care to reach. So we have to dig deep into our own hearts and look for any place where there might be prejudice towards any type of person on the earth. Now, let me give you a definition of the word prejudice so we're kind of all working from the same place because some people think discrimination, some people think racism. We're talking about prejudice, and here's a, a pretty good definition of prejudice. The preconceived opinion that is not based on reason or actual experience. A preconceived opinion that is not based on reason or actual experience. Now, you might say, well, I, I don't have prejudice. I don't have a prejudice bone in my body. I'm just not the type of person that's given to prejudice. Just not that way. I love all people. And what many people think of when they hear the word prejudice or racism or discrimination is they think of color. They think in colors, crayons. They think it's a black, white, brown type of thing. Oh, I, I love every color. Listen, Prejudice is far more uh, cunning. The spirit of prejudice is far more cunning than the spirit of racism because racism is overt. It's outright. It's obvious to see in any room the hatred that is racism. But prejudice can be even more dangerous because it's harder to spot in your own heart. Let me kind of help you understand what prejudice sounds like. In case you think, oh, I don't have any prejudice. Let me just help you understand what prejudice sounds like, the tone of prejudice. It sounds a little bit like this. (laughs) They live south of the 101. 
It's prejudice. They they live south of Camelback Road? How about this one? They dance at the club? I wonder how many people see our our video announcement on club outreach, and a little part of them has the thought, ministering to women dancing in the club? Mm-hmm. Oh, they're as old as my grandparents. It's prejudice. Oh, they dress like hipsters. Prejudice. Oh, they're a registered Democrat. You know I'm coming up into your wheelhouse with this. If I haven't gotten there yet, I'll see you in just a second. Ugh. She's had an abortion. They struggle with same-sex attraction. Prejudice, prejudice, prejudice. Here's what you have to understand about prejudice. It always begins with pride and is perpetuated with judgment. Prejudice always begins with pride and is perpetuated with judgment. You see, prejudice is basically the revelation of your belief that your path is the most preferred one. That you're better than everybody else. That your way is right and everybody else's is wrong. Ah, this doesn't happen in the church, Preston. I've had people come up to me, could you please tell those young ladies to dress more conservatively? They don't go to church here anymore. Because you know what? John chapter 4, we see the story of Jesus encountering a woman at the well that everybody else wanted to run from. That everybody else was disgusted by. And you know what? I believe this church is supposed to look like the well Jesus stopped at that day, where it's okay. If you come in, and from a Monday outreach, someone invited you to our church, and you don't have church clothes, I am fairly certain that God, when you showed up today, wasn't thinking about the clothes you came in with. Now, the person two rows in front of you struggling with the spirit of lust that they can't kick might be having a problem. But listen to me, I'll buy you new clothes. Don't worry about it. The church is a place where you can come in and find Jesus, not judgment. It's got to be that way because that's God's heart. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. But in order for us to be that type of church, we have to individually deal with the prejudice in our own hearts. John chapter 4, let's start in verse 1. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Pharisees were always trying to turn things into a competition. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. 
Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Let's stop there. I'm going to give you three things today that I hope will help you understand the dangers of a divisive spirit in the church and on the earth and how we can overcome them based on following Jesus to the same well he went to in John chapter 4. And here's point number one. Jesus went the wrong way, not the long way. Jesus went the wrong way, not the long way. Let me explain, all right? I'll try and kind of visualize the map for you, help you see it in your mind's eye. Jesus is down south, and he's got to head north towards the Sea of Galilee, towards Cana. And you had, if you're going to go in a straight line, the fastest way to get from here to there, you had to go through the city of Sychar, which was in, in Samaria. It was a, a Samaritan village. Now, many, and you've probably heard this, the story of the Good Samaritan, kind of the backstory that in biblical times, the Jews hated the Samaritans. Many of the most strict Jews in this day and time would go not straight through Sychar to get up to the Sea of Galilee. They would go out to the east towards the Dead Sea, then go due north up to the Sea of Galilee, and then cut over to Cana. They would, in essence, double their journey because they simply wanted to do whatever they had to do to stay away from those people in Sychar, the Samaritans. And we hear the story of the Good Samaritan, and, and we, we know a little bit, oh, the, the big deal about the, the story of the Good Samaritan is the Good Samaritan was the only one willing to cross the dividing line because Jews hated Samaritans. Okay, I wonder if I would ask everyone in this service, why in this day and time did the Jews hate the Samaritans? I wonder if even five people would know why. Not because you're not wise or smart or theological. That's not it at all. You see, one of the things you have to understand about prejudice is many people know it's there, but most people don't know why. And you have to study, you have to do a little bit of digging, a little bit of research to find out why is this animosity there, one group towards another. Why does it exist? Well, I'll tell you why, for the Jews toward the Samaritans. In the Old Testament, Samaria was overtaken by the king of Assyria, and he removed as many of the Jews from Samaria as he possibly could. And to keep the peace, he brought in refugees from many other countries to occupy this little city. The few remaining Jews that were there intermarried with the outsiders. This to the Jewish people was disgusting. No longer were these Samaritans in Sychar pure Jews. They were now impure. They were dirty. So they hated them. It wasn't just a, I'm uncomfortable around you, prejudice. It was outright racism. And so many of them if they had a journey due north, instead of going the short way, they would go the long way to stay as far away from the people they least like to be around. Thank God in his grace that Jesus chose to go the wrong way instead of the long way. He went straight up through the heart of the city. The religious said, that's the wrong way. You don't go through that city. That's dirty. It's unclean. Oh, well, Preston, I, I just don't think there's that kind of 
you know, feeling in the church. I don't, I, you know, I mean, we have our issues, but I just don't think we feel that way about other people in the church or on the earth. Let me show you a passage of scripture that might help you understand otherwise. Luke chapter 18, verse 10. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee, the religious one, stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not a sinner like everyone else. For I don't cheat, I don't sin, and I don't commit adultery. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. Because I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. Oh, it can happen here. And it can happen in me, and it can happen in you. And we are most dangerous when we are unaware of the prejudice hiding in our own hearts. Because it just might keep us from reaching the very people God has called us to reach because we're disgusted to touch them. But we're too afraid to admit it. Prejudice can happen in the pew just as much or more than with the profane. I hate to admit it, but it can happen worse here than outside of here. It's our responsibility to keep this as pure a house of worship as we possibly can. Jesus goes the wrong way, not the long way. Well, how do we make sure we go the wrong way? not the long way. Let me give you two things. If you're taking notes, I want you to write both of these down. Here's the first one. Division always dwells on the differences. When you understand that division always dwells on the differences, this will actually help you go what the religious would say is the wrong way, that God would say is the right way. But you have to understand division always dwells on the differences. Let me illustrate it for you. Let's say that God has called you with your life to walk this path, this straight path right here. And it goes through the heart of a city like Sikar. It goes through a people group that God has called you to reach that many others are afraid to go near. And here's the danger of division, which division always starts with prejudice, okay? The danger of division is it dwells on the differences. So here's what it looks like. God's called you to go right through the heart of the city, maybe like Jonah. Jonah had this problem. And here's what prejudice does. It begins to dwell on the differences, which creates division. And it sounds like this. Well, they don't, they don't look like us. They, they don't talk like us. They certainly don't eat like us. They don't parent like us. They don't worship like us. They don't live holy lives like us. They don't this like us. They don't that like us. They're not like us. And before I know it, I am so far away from the heart of the city, but here's the scary thing. When we focus on division and our differences, we're not just far from the heart of the city. We are now far from the heart of God. Simply because we dwell on the differences. When we understand there is no value in dwelling 
on the differences. We can celebrate the differences, but there's no need to dwell on the differences. Because when we do, it takes us away from the heart of the city and the heart of the Father. Here's the second thing you have to understand if you're going to take the wrong way, not the long way. You have to understand division will always divert you from divine paths. Division will always divert you from divine paths. I hope you understand this just a little bit. How was the city of Sychar reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ? I know we haven't read it yet, but how did God reach the city of Sychar? He did it through one woman's testimony, and it happens to be the woman who was at the well this day who encountered the living Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. What would have happened if Jesus said, I'm not going that way. I'm going the long way. I, I, I'm like everybody else. I don't want to be around those people. Listen to me. If Jesus would have taken the long way, not only would the woman at the well not have been reached, but the whole city wouldn't have been reached because of what Jesus did in the heart of that one woman. Division will always divert you from God's divine paths for your life. It's not worth it. But the only way to kill or crush the spirit of division is to first eradicate the spirit of prejudice in our own hearts. Now, the Bible makes it incredibly easy for us to understand how we can make sure we never take the long way again. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. What does this mean? Does this mean that our race, that our political preference, that our sex, it is taken away from us at salvation? Of course not. What it simply means is these very things are of no value or handicap in our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We are all one in Jesus Christ. Here's another way to say it. All labels become secondary for those who share Jesus in common. All labels. One of the things I love most about the word Christian is that the word, the the suffix there, I-A-N, means belonging to the party of. When we say we're Christians, we're saying I belong to the party of Christ. Not Republican, not Democrat, I belong to the party of Christ. Every other label is secondary in my life to that label right there. Here's the second thing. We have to understand Christ crossed the line and came close. Keep going in verse 7 of John chapter 4. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you. And who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. Now let's role play just a little bit. 
Let's again, like we did last week, kind of insert ourselves into Christ's position there at the well that day, okay? What do you look like when you encounter someone that makes you feel uncomfortable? I'm not someone that makes you feel you're in danger. I'm talking about someone that makes you feel uncomfortable. Maybe they're smarter than you. Maybe they're prettier than you. Maybe they're more successful than you. I don't know what type of person makes you feel uncomfortable. Maybe they're a different color than you, from a different part of the world than you, speak a different language than you. I don't know what makes you feel uncomfortable, but I want you just to imagine for a moment the person who makes you most uncomfortable. What do you look like when you accidentally encounter them? Jesus is sitting there at the well, and he encounters the very person. Not only is she a Samaritan, she's a Samaritan woman which I'll explain the importance of that in a moment. But not only is she a Samaritan woman, we find out later in the story, she's presently living in sin and has a track record that is extremely difficult. And she had the trifecta going. What do you look like when you accidentally encounter someone who makes you feel uncomfortable? Jesus is sitting at the well and he encounters the very person everyone else wants to stay away from. What do we typically look like? Because there's some unwritten rules of prejudice, right? We don't talk about them, but we all know them. Rule number one, it's unwritten. Unwritten rule of prejudice number one. At all costs, by any means necessary, whatever you do, do not make eye contact. Right? They're over here. Oh, hey, how you doing? I haven't seen you in forever. We don't even know each other. I know, but you look so familiar to me. How are the kids doing? How's everything going? Yeah, yeah. I, we, we live real close to you. Oh, you live in Buckeye? Oh, oh, well, no, we live in Scottsdale, but that's not far away from each other. Yeah, make an up conversation to try and stay away from somebody. Okay? At all costs, don't make eye contact. Unwritten rule number two. If you accidentally make eye contact with someone that makes you uncomfortable, what do you do? Head nod. Right? You graciously acknowledge their presence, not with speech, but just a, and you go back to look in this direction. Right? We don't talk about this stuff. Maybe we don't even realize some of us do these things. Jesus, thankfully, does not take this approach with the woman at the well. There's an invisible line that many of us have that keep us from engaging with people not like us. Thankfully, Jesus said, I came to obliterate that foolish line. The cross covers every distance. I'm crossing the line. I know everybody else says I shouldn't talk to her. I know the disciples when they come are gonna second guess me as to why I'm talking to her. But I came from this, for this woman. So I'm going to engage her in conversation. And when he does, it shocks her. And what's her response? She says, what are you doing talking to me? I, you're a Jew. And I, I, I'm a Samaritan woman. Now, hit the pause button here. and You have to understand a little bit of the backstory and pay attention to some of the details. Jacob's well was further outside of the city at this time than other wells. This woman could have gone to wells that were far closer to the heart of the city than Jacob's well. 
she was going to a well that was very far compared to the other wells. Why would this woman bypass easier wells to go to and go to the furthest one from the city? Well, if you look at another detail, you might be able to tell why. The Bible says she was gathering the water in the middle of the day. Now, if you do a little bit of study, you'll learn that most women in this day and time drew water either first thing in the morning, but most of them did it at the end of the day. As the sun was going down, wasn't in the heat of the day, this woman is going to the furthest well at the worst time of day. Why? I think that helps us understand she was an outcast. And isn't it amazing that the woman trying to get away from everyone who couldn't stand her encounters the one who came for her? And Jesus says, oh, I've got your number. She says, but what are you doing talking to me? Here, you got to go even further to understand just what a big deal it was Jesus engaged this woman in conversation. There was a widely known prayer in this day and time that the religious prayed, especially the Pharisees. The Pharisees would wake up and this is how they would start their day with this prayer. Many of them. They would start their day by saying, God, I thank you that I am a Jew and not a Gentile. God, I thank you that I am free and not a slave. God, I thank you that I am a man and not a woman. Good morning, Holy Spirit. That's why it's so amazing that God in his word in Galatians 3 says, there's no longer Jew or Gentile. That was the first part of the prayer. There's no longer slave or free. That was the second part. There's no longer male or female. That was the third part. Everybody knew this was an ugly prayer to pray. And Jesus said, I don't pray that prayer. I cross every dividing line. Jesus came close to the woman. He did not settle for staying on his side of the line. Well, people like me don't ever engage with people like her. We stay on our side like a junior high dance and they stay on their side. No, no, no. So how do we cross this line, this invisible line? The Bible helps us to know how. Romans chapter 12, verse 16. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. Doesn't that sound like a prejudiced verse? Be honest with me. Doesn't it? Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. Doesn't that sound like a verse where some look down upon others? Well, let me help you understand why that's not what this is talking about. First, let me give you a, a statement that I hope you never forget. Any person created in the image of God cannot be ordinary. It's impossible. Any person, which is every person, created in the image of God cannot be ordinary. Preston, are you disagreeing with scripture? No, no, no. Listen, you have to understand what it is God's trying to say. That we look at certain types of people as ordinary when compared to us. And God is saying, those very people that you see as ordinary compared to you, don't you ever be too proud to not just have 
fellowship with them, but to enjoy, to live life with them. You see, the goal of this message is not to get you to notice people that you felt uncomfortable around. The goal of this message is to get to know them and for them to know you. That's what crossing the line looks like. This woman got to know Jesus and his heart in this one encounter. Why? Because Jesus crossed the line. That invisible barrier that says, people like me don't engage with people like you. And he came close to that woman when everybody else wanted to stay away from her. Here's point number three. Christians must understand the dangers of division. Christians must understand the dangers of division. Titus chapter three, verse 10 says, if people are causing divisions among you, give a first and second warning. After that, have nothing more to do with them. For people like that have turned away from the truth and their own sins condemned them. Division is dangerous. It's one of the things we actually disfellowship people for here at this church. What we call divisive and contentious behavior. And it comes out of this verse. Because division is dangerous. People who just love division. You know who loves to see division in the church? The one who came up with the idea of church splits. The devil himself. Division is a dangerous thing. And in order for us to crush the spirit of division in our church, we have to first deal with the prejudice in our own hearts. And I want to give you three, quickly, three things that will help you understand just how dangerous division is and how we overcome it. Here's the first one. Prejudice gives people the wrong impression of Christ's love. Prejudice gives people the wrong impression of Christ's love. John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Now I'm gonna make a scary statement related to this verse, and it's scary not from the sense of fear, but from the responsibility that it places upon us as followers of Jesus Christ. And it's related to Christ's love and ours and how we show it. The world is forming its opinion of God's love by watching how God's people love. The world is, they're forming their own feelings and thoughts about how God loves by simply watching how God's people love. And if Jesus says, I want you to love in the same way I have loved you, well, here's my question. Did Jesus say, ugh, when he looked at you? Or did he say, oh no, I know how to, I know how to deal with that right there. I'll come die. I'll wash all of that off of them. I'm not afraid of you. I'm not running from you. I'm running towards you. That's how Christ loved you. That's how Christ loved me and still does. That's how we are commanded to love one another. But prejudice inside the church badly confuses the world as to what God's love actually looks like. John chapter 17, verse 23. 
Jesus saying to the Father says, I have given them the glory you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. All based on our unity in the church. Jesus says that to the Father. May they be so perfect in unity that the whole world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. As long as the church is divided, there will be confusion about whose church it is. And if the church is his church, the church will love all of those for whom Christ died. But if the church is ours, the church will only love those like us. And the single most dangerous statement we can make about God's love is he only loves some. He only loves those who look like me, who dress like me, who talk like me, who live like me. No, 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 no. Jesus came to die for all. God wills that none should perish. But prejudice confuses the world about God's love. Gives them the wrong impression. Here's the second thing we have to understand. A divided church is not dangerous and it's definitely not blessed. A divided church is not dangerous against the enemy and it's definitely not blessed. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. If we aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, and live in peace, and God says, I, the God of love and peace, will be with you, what happens if we make the choice not to aim for restoration, not to comfort one another, not to agree with one another, and not to live in peace? Bretson, are you saying that God will not be with us? Mm -hmm. I am. But he promised he would never leave us or forsake us. I'm not saying he'll forsake you. Let me explain it in this way. When I discipline my children and I send one of them to their room, while I am not in their room as they experience the consequences from their bad decision, they are still in my house. I've not left them. I've not turned my back on them. They are still in my house. But right now they're experiencing consequences that are affecting our relationship. But the good news of the grace of God is Jesus came to take our punishment. He came to take our eternal consequences. And even when I get sent to my room, punishment never lasts forever. In the same way, when we choose not to have a spirit of unity, starting in our own home, starting in God's house, I think the Bible is pretty clear. He is not with us in the same manner as when we walk in a spirit of unity. And we can see that in Psalm chapter 133, verses one, two, and three. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there, where brothers dwell in unity, where there is a spirit of unity, 
The Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. If we endeavor to walk in a spirit of unity in this church, I believe we will see God's blessing in an even greater way. But we will never experience that spirit of unity as long as we are hiding our own petty prejudices against one another. And here's the third and most important thing if you're going to understand the dangers of division. A diversely unified church is the devil's nightmare. A diversely unified church is the devil's nightmare. I believe there's a picture that haunts the devil. It's in Revelation chapter 7. Helps us to see it very clearly. A picture that the devil absolutely hates to see. Listen to what the picture looks like. Verse 9 of Revelation 7. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting with a great roar, salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. Do you remember what happens in Genesis chapter 11? It's the story of the Tower of Babel. And in this story, God watches a large group of people who have a spirit of unity. It's just pointed in the wrong direction. They're trying to build a tower that goes all the way up to heaven. It's a horrible idea, but they all rally around it. And God comes down and he says, with this kind of spirit of unity, there is nothing that will be impossible for these people. And so he gave them all different languages. And because they could no longer understand each other, they dispersed. You know who was sitting in the front row that day? The devil. I believe if he hadn't learned it by then, he learned the lesson that day. That where there is a spirit of unity, that spirit of unity in God's name especially will overcome anything, any enemy it comes up against. Listen, our church will be its most dangerous against the enemy when we have a spirit of unity. Not a spirit that dwells on the differences between us all. Jesus went to the well. He didn't go the long way to stay away from the very person everyone else in his circle tried to stay away from. Jesus went, what the religious society said was that's, that's the wrong way. He's going the wrong way. He went right through the heart of the city with the heart of the Father. And the whole city was reached because Jesus had the guts to go the way everybody else refused to go. Jesus went to the well. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, you're called to go there too. And I pray to God that this church resembles the well that Jesus stopped by that day where anyone is welcome, no matter what they look like, no matter where they've been, no matter what they've done, you can come get a drink of living water right here. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you'd like to know more about Gateway Church, please visit our website at www dot gateway scottsdale dot tv